Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters and experts to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez, and I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen. I cover the congressional delegation. Today, we're talking about Arizona State University President Michael Crow. He's outlasted many politicians, and beyond his influence over Arizona State University, he's had a pretty dramatic role on the state, on public policy, and how leaders direct taxpayer dollars. So the question today, is Michael Crow the most powerful man in Arizona? I really see Arizona as this place where of the 50 laboratories of democracy, we have this ongoing opportunity to actually come closer to the aspirations of the founders that were outlined in terms of liberty, pursuit of happiness, equality and justice, all those things. We've got a long way to go, but here everything's on the table. We're joined by Rachel Langing, the Republic's higher education reporter. Rachel, thanks for being here. Thank you. Rachel, you recently published a huge profile of Michael Crow that's full of details from the 26 hours you spent with him. Why did you first pursue this story at all? So I've been covering higher education for the Republic for about a year, and uh, I think it's inarguable that there's you know no bigger figure in higher education in Arizona than Michael Crow, and he's really a national figure as well. And I've been hearing about him basically since I moved here, you know, seven, eight years ago. Uh, he's hard to miss in Arizona, you know, policy, business, leadership circles. He's kind of everywhere. Right. He does cast a long shadow and seems to have a lot of uh, um, influence and dealings with politicians. He's sort of the politician we never elected. Right. And if you look around, I mean, he has a huge footprint on Phoenix, for sure, several other Valley cities, Arizona in general. He's sort of directed higher education um, in this, you know, decade and a half or more that he's been here. Um And if you look around downtown Phoenix, I think you can see several buildings that now carry ASU's logo. I know from our parking garage, I'm usually surrounded by all sides, uh, surrounded on all sides by ASU. So, you know, he's been a dramatic leader in real estate, but then also in, you know, directing higher education in a different sort of way, in a more pragmatic way, I would say. So to examine his political power, we're going to look at some of Michael Crow's biggest political moments, both wins and losses. Let's start with wins. Right. One of his biggest wins is the huge impact he's had on real estate and development um, in the metro Phoenix area, it seems. Right. So the Cronkite School of Journalism, which has become this, you know, big name in uh, higher education, that came as part of this downtown deal um, with Mayor Gordon and, and the city did a bond election and got you know, a huge amount of money for this university campus. And this is all happening you know, during the Great Recession, essentially. The, the bond was before that, but you know, anything being built during that time is in itself an, an anomaly because there was such you know, a crunch on construction here. Um, and since then, I mean, the downtown campus has become, you know, it has more than 10,000 students now. It, it's become this big campus in its own right. Um, and then down the street, we also have the uh, Phoenix, uh, I think it's called the Phoenix Biomedical Campus with U of A and ASU. And that's also come up since Crow got here. Um, we've since seen, like in recent years, the law school coming downtown. The Thunderbird School of Global Management should be coming downtown soon as well. Uh, basically, this whole idea of an urban campus did not exist before Crow got here. 
And then in Tempe, there's been a ton of construction as well. It's still the main campus with the most students. And there's been a big push toward biodesign. There's several new buildings for biodesign over there. And then in Scottsdale, we have Skysong, uh, that weird looking building that you can see from pretty far away. Um, and then there's, you know, now there's a, a campus in Mesa, in downtown Mesa, that's in the works. He's really had a lot of success with working with cities to advance real estate and development. His agenda, though, has definitely uh, gone beyond just real estate and development and expanding the academic village sort of footprint. He's also taken um, a stand on undocumented immigrants and at a pretty contentious time in this state's history. Yeah, I remember being at a Vital Soul luncheon back in 2007. I can't believe I'm that old. Um, but at the, it, this was at the height of, you know, the anti-illegal immigrant sentiment. You had Joe Arpaio, Andrew Thomas in office. You had a lot going on down at the state legislature with Russell Pierce and more conservative voices. Uh, on this issue. And Michael Crow really emerged as a breakout voice at a time when there weren't very many courageous people, I would say, to, to, to speak up for uh, undocumented immigrants. He announced just very casually, really, that the university, through private scholarships, had been paying for 200 undocumented immigrants uh, to go to college. And, uh, you know, he understood, I'm sure, the backlash, this kind of news would provoke, but he really didn't seem to care much at all. And I just kind of remember this being the first entree of him kind of stepping out into, stepping out in front of a very controversial issue beyond academia and beyond money and beyond um, some of the, the more normal things that a university president would handle into this role as a voice for, for these people who really didn't have a lot of people to speak for them. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the 2007 uh, atmosphere. That's actually when I arrived here. And um, one of the first events I uh, attended in this in this new place of mine was a conversation with a lot of different community leaders on the subject of immigration. And that was considered remarkable because people weren't throwing chairs at each other. It seemed like that was what was the takeaway which was, of course, new to me. You know, I had no expectations on it, but people said, oh, this is amazing that, you know, we're not just like shouting at each other. That was the environment that this is sort of happening in. Rachel, he, he has been someone who has been willing, it seems, to jump into the fray. He's not ducking big issues. He's not retreating to uh, the top of the ivory tower. He's He's really engaging on the ground, it seems. Right. I mean, I think there's like two different, really two different schools of how to be a university president. And one is really a caretaker. That's just like, I'm here to walk this university into the future. And then there's someone like Michael Crow, who's like, you know, caretaker would not be a word to describe him in any stretch. Um, you know, he, he has these design principles. And I would say that like, they really do um, seep into everything he does. And one of them is that the university should be a part of the community. And I think that he takes that, you know, really strongly, re really to heart. And I think you see it in, he's not staying in university-related issues. He, he thinks that the university has a stake in all issues that affect all people, its students and everyone around them. So what do you think drives that? So he grew up in a military family that moved more than 20 times when he was a kid. He went to, I believe, 17 schools by the time he graduated from high school. And I think, 
you know, when you move that much, you have to get used to new environments really quickly and learn about new people really quickly, you know, jump in and feel like you're a part of something, um, you know, within a couple weeks if you're going to be moving again shortly. And I think that, you know, his childhood and his upbringing still play a pretty strong role um, in how he runs the university. He was also a first-generation college student, um, and he'll bring that up a lot of times as a way to, you know, hopefully inspire people that he's not your typical university president. He doesn't have that pedigree, but he got here, so maybe you can get here too. Uh, we lived in public housing, grew up in a working class, hardworking family of really smart people. No one had ever been to college in my family, and so I'm the first to go to college and certainly the first to graduate. And I think one of the things that shaped me along the way was knowing that there was smart kids everywhere. And then seeing that many of them didn't have a chance to go to college because they, whatever, their family was broken up, they didn't have any money, they didn't know what to do. That affected my notion that a public university is intended to find talent and educational opportunity wherever it exists and move it forward. So it's taken quite a bit of time, but under his leadership, the university has still a party university, right? It's still a party school. But... He's really elevated it, elevated its reputation and kind of rebranded the state nationally, uh, if you think about it. Right. I mean, his probably his biggest win has been changing how ASU is viewed. Uh, but his big success has been changing the idea of ASU into this, like, quote, innovative school um, based on these national rankings. And he's really just aggressively taken that and run with it. I mean, students now, they have like these memes that they'll, they'll always make jokes about innovation and, you know, jokes about Crow. And they've really grasped that as part of their identity. Uh, and the school has used its branding power, which is pretty, you know, intense at this point to, you know, hold on to that innovation thing, wrap it around buses and park benches. And, you know, it's become the new brand for ASU as opposed to like Playboy's Party School of the Year. I think what I like about it, too, is that like with some politicians or leaders, like you expect to see their face, right? Like plastered all over buses and pamphlets. And he doesn't do that. He really highlights the students and the and the teachers. Right. I mean, I, students definitely know what he looks like in following him. I mean, like they were coming up for selfies all the time and um, he's a figure for sure. They know what he looks like, but it's not necessarily through like advertising he's done of himself. He like often when students are like, I have this problem, he'll say like, here's my email, michael.crow at asu.edu, like reach out to me, we'll figure out how to solve it. He's not like trying to route people through others to avoid um, answering a question directly. He's very direct. And, you know, I think as we've seen the political realm, that directness can definitely get you into trouble with people, um, you know, but sometimes it can be respected as well. Okay, so speaking of getting into trouble with people, it's hard to have any serious talk on a political podcast about Michael Crow without referring to 2009. We had a very new president, Barack Obama, who uh, came to Tempe to deliver a commencement address that was the largest audience uh, of its kind for ASU, I believe, uh, at that time anyway. Uh, Michael Crow stepped in a bucket, it seemed. Uh, tell us about the 2009 commencement. So the university decided not to give President Obama an honorary degree. Um, a lot of universities, when they have commencement speakers, will give an honorary degree to that person. It's just a way of saying, you know, thank you, we recognize your accomplishments. And at that time, ASU described it as he 
hadn't accomplished enough to deserve this degree or something to that to that effect. And people were like, how he's the president of the U.S. You know, how do you what more could you accomplish, really? Um, and, and since then, Crow has really well articulated. He doesn't believe in giving honorary degrees to active politicians or to donors to the university. He doesn't want it to be seen as sort of like any type of quid pro quo. Um, but at the time, they definitely said he wasn't accomplished, you know, or he hadn't accomplished enough to deserve this degree. You know, he gave this speech and he made a joke about it. The president of the United States made some of a joke about it, you know, you know, something along the lines of like, my wife thinks the same thing. Um, but he, de- <laughs> he didn't like, you know, hold it. It seemed like he was like, I don't need another honorary degree. I'm sure at this point, President Obama has enough honorary degrees to line the walls of his office. Um, you know, it was more just, is that, is that the thing you want ASU to be on the national stage for? At a time when the president is coming here to give a commencement, you know, that really recognizes ASU's power. Is that what you should have done at that moment with the national stage? I was actually there that night, and um, it was a very entertaining speech and, uh, you know, kind of interesting evening. And you can't separate it from the the time that it happened in, too. I mean, this was really kind of the bottom of the Great Recession. Um, it's just sort of paradoxical, to me anyway, that uh, Dr. Crow has done so much to try and uh, improve the university's image and clearly has done so. On that night, the the first kind of national uh, example where he really stepped out in front, it was just right onto the garden rake, and uh, it didn't do the university any great service, it seemed. I was in my county Joe Arpaio, Andrew Thomas bubble. I don't remember that. But I do remember once I took on the state beat, I remember watching him work the state capitol and watch him and listen to him talk with state lawmakers to to try to advance the university's agenda. And I do remember thinking some occasions listening to him testify. And I remember feeling like this is a guy who really doesn't think he needs to be here explaining himself to these state lawmakers. Yeah. And so that reminds me very much about the, our 2015 uh, session at the legislature. And that was a tough budget year. Uh, that was Governor Ducey's first budget. And he had made a decision tactically that he wanted to sort of roll up all the all the pain that he felt that the state needed to absorb into that first budget and then move forward onto firmer footing uh, for the rest of his tenure. And what that meant was some pretty serious budget cuts. And as per usual, that usually falls on the higher education budget. And I remember Michael Crow was, uh, I think, fairly described as, you know, uh, indignant about it and, and outspoken. And he successfully put the legislature under Andy Biggs's uh, supervision in quite a foul mood about the whole endeavor and went from uh, having pretty serious budget cuts to even deeper ones implemented after that. And it was after Michael Crow had sort of stepped up, spoken out, and gotten hammered down. Took out a full-page ad, too, if I recall, in The Republic. That's right. We thank him for that to this day. (laughs) Um, He's definitely a person who says and does exactly what he thinks is you know, the thing to do. It, he's not that calculated necessarily with what he's saying. And I've talked with multiple people who've known him for decades who just say he's always kind of been who he is. He's not hiding anything. 
And he's he told me before, you know, even with the Obama degree thing, that he, he didn't regret it. And he doesn't regret probably anything because he's just not a regrets-oriented kind of guy. You know, I've, I've interviewed a, a, this one professor who just came here recently, but he used to be the uh, president of the London School of Economics. And, you know, the fact that he wants to come to ASU to be a professor is, you know, it says something about the university these days. Um, but he, he really summed up Crow, you know, perfectly. His name is Craig Calhoun. He's a bull in a china shop but wants to break everything and remake it. Mike Crow wants a lot of change. So people who think we need more stability than change tend to think he's disruptive. Uh, there was another time I was listening to a talk he gave to the National Conference of State Legislatures. And that's just a lot of, you know, elected leaders from across the country. And he had made some comment about, you know, well, there's some people here in California who, you know, are nimrods, basically, is what he said. And I had reached out to his office to be like, you know, who who are the nimrods specifically? And they were like, oh, not anyone in, in particular. It's just in general, the people who don't, you know, agree with the direction that ASU is going in, um, you know, they're nimrods. So he has, he uses these terms sometimes that are really colloquial, things we'd probably say to our friends, but he is not our friend. You know, he's a, a person of stature, but he's still, you know, talking like he always has. He's the, he's the person who he is, and he's he's not trying to, um, to hide that even. He also had some strong feelings about Arizona Attorney General Mark Brnovich, who had a pretty jaw-dropping move last year against uh, the university. Right. So he, Brnovich has actually sued the universities twice now in the course of the past year, year and a half, somewhere in that range, um, once over tuition. He said the tuition was too high. Um, and then the other one has gone after, you know, we talked about Crow being this, you know, real estate developer, basically. Um, one of the lawsuits goes specifically after um, the way he Crow has used ASU land to bring in revenue for um, the university. He's basically using state-owned land to um, give companies a tax break, break is what Brnovich is saying, and that's not appropriate. Um, Brnovich at that time, and the second lawsuit was filed, he said, you know, Crow has become the most powerful person in Arizona. And, and his, uh, you know, the underlying idea there is that no one's willing to stand up for, uh, against Crow. And Brnovich is saying, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, even though he's so powerful and he has all this influence. Um, and, and, Clearly, these two don't have any love lost. They're clearly not getting along. Um, Crow has basically said he's been blindsided by these lawsuits, and um, Brnovich has never reached out to ask any questions or even, you know, give him a heads up that they may be getting sued. I asked him about those lawsuits uh, in an interview recently. I don't know. He sued us twice. It's very unusual. So the most, shock most shocking thing for me, both for me and for our lawyers, is, is he's our lawyer. So we don't know how you can be sued by your own lawyer. So we work with the Attorney General's office on dozens and dozens and dozens of cases. Uh, he sued us on a case relative to tuition where his office was, in fact, the one defending us on another lawsuit against tuition uh, on matters related to tuition. So for us, it's like I don't think anybody in our organization has ever experienced before his particular interpretation of legal ethics. So in legal ethics, you can't sue your own client. Uh, and so we also have never heard from him. So I, my answer is mostly like, I have no idea. He's never spent any time with us. He's never asked us any questions. He doesn't know anything about these projects or our tuition setting process or anything. We've never spent any time talking about it. And so I don't know what it means. It's very strange. 
So one other thing that sort of stands out to me about Michael Crow is that it, clearly he has had some victories and some defeats as we've outlined them, but he also seems to be a quick study. He, he's someone who is evolving and learning uh, himself. And I think that was on pretty prominent display during the 2017 legislative session when he sort of led the charge for the universities to uh, expand their bonding capacity. Um, They needed a billion dollars from the legislature, which is uh, no small amount of money. And he ran into significant opposition to this among state lawmakers, but was able nonetheless to uh, get most of what he wanted, I guess. Yeah, in 2017, he kind of led the way for the state to authorize this bonding package. And, you know, it, the final way they got the money was not in the manner that they wanted it. They were originally asking basically for um, the sales tax or, or uh, transaction privilege taxes that the university pays to be reverted back to the universities to use for bonding. Um, but instead, the legislature decided to appropriate that money. Um, one of the issues with doing it that other way was it could have grown like hugely because the state has grown hugely and probably will continue to. Um, but, you know, in that whole, you know, he eventually won something and and, and not an insignificant something. Uh, and it helps with... Um, the universities all have these buildings now, and it helps to, they have all this deferred maintenance, They maybe they want to build new things. I, I think going to the legislature every year to ask for something like that probably gets tiresome for everyone involved. So if you just have this ongoing stream that you can use for those projects, I mean, that's a huge win in a time when the state, you know, not necessarily investing in longer term things like that. Right. And, you know, so to answer our question or to take a shot at it anyway, is, is he the most powerful man in Arizona? Uh, you know, he was able to guide the debate on the bonding issue, for example, to where he ultimately wanted it to rest. And he had to win over some folks who were reluctant. He seemed to do that. He did seem to, uh, you know, sort of accept that the legislature is going to want some things from him. Yvonne, you know all about the freedom schools and, and the money that has been sort of uh, – Set, pushed inside the university budgets. It's something, it's not clear to me that he loves that, but it's something that he seems to recognize that this is one way to accomplish the bigger picture for himself. It's the whole carrot stick, you know, theory of politics, especially down at the state capitol, right? You take, you, you, you negotiate down, you negotiate up. I think he's done a really good job of doing that. He's also expanded the, eras, the university's footprint back in Washington, D.C., where he set up uh, help set up a branch there. We'll see what comes of that, right? I think that's a sign that he's ready to play on the national stage in a way that he hasn't before. Yeah, I mean, it's 10-minute walk from the White House, so you can't be much closer to the seats of power. Um, they also get a lot more research funding now than they used to, and their main funders are in D.C., so I think that uh, the building there kind of speaks to wanting to have more of a presence by the people who could give them money. So to say he's the most powerful politician in Arizona who was never elected, I would probably consider him among the top two, top three. Um, I would put him up there with some of the really powerful donors that you never really hear about but are quietly behind the scenes um, implementing their own agenda through campaigns and quietly through policy. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say among those who are not elected to the legislature and to state government that Michael Crow has got to be probably the most influential person 
if only because he gets to do what he wants uh, out front and in public. And in fact, he does do it that way. You think of some of the donors and such, they have to do it more quietly, more subtly. Uh, Michael Crow doesn't. He is an ambassador for the university and for the state of Arizona more broadly. Um, and he does uh, like to use that platform as he sees fit. Clearly, he's run into limits, though. I mean, he has not been able to restore the funding cuts that the university sustained early in the Ducey administration. And uh, he is sort of pursuing a workaround in Washington, it seems. So uh, I think that he knows his own limits and, again, continues to kind of evolve. But he is very influential and, and people are seeing from their commute to work in Phoenix uh, the hand of Michael Crow, even if they don't know it. Right. That's sort of my thinking on the whole thing. Like so many things he's done impact you in ways both big and small, and you probably don't even realize it. Um, all of these buildings, you if you try to drive in Tempe lately, there's students everywhere. Like the massive growth of the university is part of that. You know, ASU has hundreds of thousands of alumni now um, that continue to do, you know, really impactful work around around the world, really. Um you know, what Arizona can be and, and is now has been shaped by this person because he's in charge of, you know, one of the dominant educational institutions um, in the state. Do we think he'll one day run for public office? I've asked him that, and he says he doesn't think he's a politician. Like, he's really more interested in getting things done, um, not, which is not to say and I think he said right after that, not to say that politicians don't get things done, but um, I think the speed at which politics happen would just frustrate someone like him who moves so quickly and is used to, um, you know, at least in, in the halls of ASU and um, in the university realm, he's, he's used to kind of directing traffic on his own. Um, I think it would be, it's very tough for me to picture him in like a legislature um, with, you know, 60 yeah. to 90 people. <laughs> could you also, imagine? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how that would go over. I could, you know, I, he's pretty, he's pretty, you know, he shot that down, but I could see him doing like a, you know, like an appointed government position um, in the federal government or something like that. But, you know, I think he'll probably stay put here for a good amount of time. So he's had big wins. He's had some losses that have uh, continued. Uh, what else is there to do? What keeps him around? So one thing that had been pointing out to pointed out to me in the course of my reporting was that, you know, in higher education in Arizona, there's sort of a power vacuum. Um, our governor hasn't really articulated a whole lot in terms of what he believes each university should do. The legislature has been fairly hands-off, aside from sometimes giving money and sometimes taking money away from the universities. Um, the Board of Regents aren't seen as very strong um, or dominant, although they can hire and fire a president. Um, Crow has sort of stepped into this power vacuum and just done whatever, you know? And I think for somebody who has a personality like him, that's really enticing, you know, uh, to be able to set your own agenda um, and and not have people get in the way of it. Um, you know, if we were in other states that do have more well-articulated um, higher education plans that come from like a governor or a legislature, the presidents are sort of beholden to those plans. Um, but he had this, you know, some really beautiful things to say about 
Arizona in that regard. I mean, he's talking to a group of a bunch of new faculty who are tenured who just came here from other states, and a lot of them from a lot different universities, some more prestigious than ASDU. There's nothing about this place that's like any other place that you've ever been. I know that definitively. And so we, we've built the university here in a way where it's not an isolated thing behind an ivory tower, an ivy-covered wall. Sometimes people will say to me, what kind of university is this? I say, this is a frontline battlefield university attempting to derive the future. If you morph yourself just a little bit, then you'll realize, well, it actually turns out I was limited before, and I'm less limited now. And I think that really well articulates, you know, he's been here for 17 years, and it's not for lack of opportunities elsewhere. Um, but I think that idea of freedom probably is, is the, the force that's kept him here. Interesting. I've wondered this for a long time, and, and actually you've just come, you know, pretty far along explaining that. I, I never put it all together, so thank you for that. That's it for today, Gaggle listeners. If you have any questions, reach out to me on Twitter at Yvonne Winget. And you can find me at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. And you can find me at Rachel Langang, that's L-E-I-N-G-A-N-G. Gaggle listeners, tweet at us with your ideas. Is there a topic you think that we should tackle? Let us know. And if you like the show, please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Your support is what makes it possible for us to do this each week. Today's episode was edited and produced by Kayla White and Katie O'Connell. Thanks again. We'll be back next week.